Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rule King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by United Bank. United Bank knows what an important role agriculture plays in our local economy. At United Bank, they are here to support local farmers with financial products and services designed specifically for agribusiness, including real loans for farmland, equipment loans, working line of credit, and more. Truth is, they deeply value the contribution agriculture plays to our community, and they help our local farmers build successful businesses. They want to see you succeed. Learn more at unitedbank.com or stop by any United Bank branch. United Bank, all loans subject to credit approval, equal housing opportunity lender, member FDIC. And brought to you by Fish Bites, ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. I'm your host, Brian Sin. Hope you guys are having a great week out there. Man, we have had some rain here in the Birmingham area. I know that. We, uh, tons of rain and, uh, tons of weather changes. I mean, if you don't like it, just wait a minute. It'll be different. We can go from 80 to in the 30s and 40s and back to 80. And it is all over the board right now. That's for sure. So I'm excited to hear, uh, in today's show how that is affecting the fish. Um, so it's, it's always, interesting to me this time of year when when there is so many weather changes and different fronts and weather patterns coming through and lots of rain it's always interesting to me to see how that affects our fishermen out there and how they're catching fish and we're going to get to that but first we're going to start off on segment number one with one of my favorite segments we do here and that's the management minute with norman latona norman with southeastern pond management what's going on my friend Hey, how are you, Brian? Doing I'm well, good. buddy. Waiting I'm for good. springtime like everybody else. Ready, <laughs> well, ready for some warmer weather, like you said. This uh like we get teased every 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 few days it warms up, then it seems like it turns back into winter on us. So I know, right? Uh, to, it's it's like for that spring weather. It's just that little tease that we're getting and then uh and then it'll be then it'll be cold again and rainy and then we'll get a nice day and it's kinda all over the place, but but I'm with you, man. I mean, uh, I'm ready for ready for spring to get here. And I know you're like me. I know why you're ready for spring. Obviously, we like spring because we like to go catch a good fish too, and and it's a fun, awesome time of the year to fish. But I know why you get excited for spring. You like to hit them turkeys gobble. You know it, buddy. Uh, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right around the corner too. So uh, last few days. That, that weather's starting to feel more and more like turkey season. So I'm, yeah, uh, sure. we, we're going to have to go tag team one this year. Let's do it. I hear you. Good stuff. Well, Norman, man, uh, 
I know today, you know, we, we, we talk about a lot of different stuff on here with you and, and, and you educate all of us. But today I want to talk about understanding the pond stocking process. Now, I know that is a very broad question I'm asking you right there, but I, I want our listeners, we've had some people write to us uh, that want to hear more about the process of stocking a pond. And, and, and you know, I, I guess there's a lot of questions on the front end of that question that you have to ask yourself. Do you have an existing pond? How old is it? Is it a new pond? So there's a whole lot of directions we can go from that question. So I'm just going to hand it over to you and let you start wherever you want on that. Yeah, you know, the pond stocking fish is is a lot of fun. We get lots of questions about it. Everybody wants to stock fish. And listen, it's a huge part of what we do. It, it's a, an important part of effective management of, of these of these lakes and, and ponds and and uh, but all that said, there's a time and place for it. it. It's not the magic pill, you know. It doesn't solve stocking fish doesn't solve all problems, and the timing, and the quantity, and the species that we that we stock is is uh, is very very important. And so you know, when we say pond stocking, you know. The, the thing that my mind goes to immediately is, is new pond stocking and meaning you know, we've got a fresh body water, either one that's just recently been constructed or one that's been renovated and it's free of fish. And we're ready to, to get the fish community established and uh, it's no better chance, no better opportunity than, than now when we've got a clean slate to build something that's sustainable and, and something dynamic but there's a definite recipe that we want to follow and and like i said timing is important so you know we can just kind of dive right in right there if you want and talk about uh new pond stock yeah and, i think and, i think that's a great place to start and and yeah you let's know just... you know a lot of the principles of, of of stocking fish are the same regardless of of whether you're talking about stocking fingerling fish in a new pond or 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 supplemental stocking of forage in a, an existing lake. What drives these lakes is is forage, is food. So we we think of these bodies of water, these these fish communities. I mean, it's these predator prey relationships that that determine the balance and and ultimately the quality of the of the fishing of the angling. And so the top end predator in most of these warm water ponds that that we deal with in the southeast are largemouth bass and so everything is geared toward uh, ultimately toward feeding uh, the largemouth bass providing them ample forage and so not to say that there aren't other target species a lot of people like to brim fish and shell cracker fish and crappie fish and and all that but ultimately uh, all the, the forage are in place to provide food for for the top end predator which is the bass so when we when we think about stocking a new pond, we we think in terms of how do we get the forage base uh, established so that when we do add predators, when we do stock bass, there's not only an ample supply of food, but there's a wide range of sizes, and and that these fish are 
are are healthy and growing at a at a at a good clip, and they're they're spawning when they're supposed to in large numbers. Because again, that that's really what the bass depend on uh, for food. You know, they they can't saunter off to the grocery store and and go pick up something to eat. They're they're dependent on what's what's swimming around in in that pond with them. So. The first thing uh, I alluded to earlier, we we always in a new pond make sure that that the the pond is free of fish. We want to start with a clean slate. We don't want we want to make sure there's no competition in the pond when we introduce young fingerling fish. Uh, we we almost always start with bluegill, and typically we couple them with fathead minnows. How do you know you're starting with a clean slate? Obviously, if you just put the dam oh. up right and you know in the process of filling up, but uh, and, and I think that then that's a pretty good sign or do you, or, or do y'all like, uh, use chemical to make sure that you've got all the fish out and free before you start? Yeah, a little bit of both, you know, common sense and experience tells me that virtually every Creek and stream, even, even some, some of them that are intermittent has got fish in it and, and any body of water that stands in, in the Southeast for long enough for weeks and months can end up with fish in it. And, uh, sometimes it's almost like magic, but truth is, um, uh, if you have a, a pond that's been sitting for any time at all, you know, filling up over a course of months, it probably has some fish that have, that have found their way into it. And, and depending on how long it's been there and exactly what those fish are, it could be, uh, really detrimental. So in those cases, uh, you know, when, when we can establish that there are fish present, you know, sometimes we'll run a seine net through it. Sometimes we put the shock boat in it. Sometimes you just can see them around the edges. We do what you're referring to is with the chemical is we'll, we'll go in usually pretty early on when the lake's not, not completely full. In fact, sometimes it's just 10 or 20% uh, full. We go in and lace the water with rotenone and it quickly eradicates what's there. It blocks the ability of the fish to respirate, and uh, they succumb to it very quickly. And then that that chemical detoxifies in the water very rapidly, depending on the the water temperature. Usually it's a matter of days, certainly no more than a week or two. And that, coupled with the, the dilution as the lake continues to fill up, means that usually within a week or two after we apply rotenone, we're ready to stock new fish. And at that point, we know that we're dealing with a, a clean slate. Yeah, that's awesome. Good deal. So then you start off, you got the clean slate, and you're going to start off with your forage fish first, right? Before you, you want to get that established before you ever introduce your predator fish. Yeah, you really do. And I, I tell folks this all the time. You have one chance to stock a lake when it's free of predators and you know once those once those bass go in there uh you can't tell them hey guys uh, let's pause for a little while and quit eating and let this forage uh grow you know they don't they don't work like that you know they 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 see they see food they go eat food and so we really have one opportunity on the front end to do it right and you, you almost can't put too many now, we do manipulate stocking ratios. That's probably a discussion for another time. But So there are different rates that we stock. But the, the, the point is we stock forage first before we ever put bass in. And forage might be bluegill. 
It might be shellcracker. It might include threads and shad. It might include golden shiners. It might include fathead minnows. All of these things we tend to stock before we ever think about putting a bass in. And typically, that happens in the late, late fall or winter time, all the way up to the early, early spring. And it, and that's dependent on when the pond has enough water to stock. A lot of times these lakes are built in the summertime or renovated in the summertime, and then they fill up or partially fill up in the fall and winter. So they're really ready to stock about this time of the year. You know, late, late winter, early, early spring, we try to get that, that forage established, whatever we decide that we're going to go with. And then we're not going to touch that lake. We're not going to introduce any predators for several months. We're going to let those let that forage swim around, competition-free, predator-free, and eat and grow and reproduce and wake up and do it again and wake up and do it again all the way until the summertime, uh, maybe as late as June or so. And then we might think about stocking some, some bass fingerlings at that point. Do you want them to go through a breeding cycle? Is that important? Or I guess it depends on the ratio you stock to start with. Or do you want them to, to go through at least going on to bed one time before you start, before you introduce the bass? Or is that not critical? Yeah, no, it is, it is very critical. In fact, the bluegill, and for that matter, the other forage uh, that we stock, typically is by the time the bass go in, in say June, is that that original forage stock is is way too big for for fingerling bass to, to consume. So the survival, the very survival of those bass fingerlings that go in in June is highly dependent on that forage that you stocked months earlier, actually engaged and actively reproducing. Now we stock, for example, fathead minnows when we stock bluegill a lot of times. So fathead minnows give you a little bit of a hedge because they don't get very big and they spawn really, really early, like they'll spawn in February and March. And so we're pretty certain they're going to reproduce before the bass go in. And so it gives you a little bit of a hedge for, for a few weeks or so. We know for sure there's going to be some food in there for the bass, but most definitely the idea is those bass are going to be far too small to consume those brim, those bluegill and shellcracker and even shad that were stocked in, you know, January, February. And so we are dependent on those things to be reproducing. And the fry, the, the reproduction, the offspring of that forage is what's going to be the base of a food supply, a forage supply for those bass that we stock in June. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Absolutely. How many, is there a rule of thumb per acre when you do stock the bass? Yeah, you know, Years ago, when we first started out in this stuff, the, the common, the commonly accepted, it was more a ratio uh, of forage to predators, and it was really kind of ten to one. And and the idea, you know, most often it was a thousand bluegill, maybe ten percent of that being shellcracker, to to a hundred bass per acre. And, you know, if you added fathead meadows, you could add some of those. And, you know, really threats in Chad back in the day wasn't, a, they weren't all that common. And, mm-hmm. but over the years, Brian, we, we have, we have played around with different stocking, not only 
the total numbers of forage that we introduce, but in particular those ratios. And because what we what we found, what we saw time and time and time again, is a year, maybe eighteen months, twenty four months on the outside from the date we stocked those bass, we're fighting to remove bass because the lakes are already bass crowded. You know, they the, the bass have already grown up to adulthood, those original fingerlings, they've spawned, their offspring have grown up and multiplied and grown to such an extent that the, the things are eating themselves out of house and home, mm-hmm. just inside of, sometimes even inside of a year, certainly within the first two years. And we saw this over and over and over again. And we began to, at first we would, we would, we started adding more forage, more diverse forage. We, we start, we started stocking more and more threats in chat. We started using fathead minnows more and more. We started up in the number of, of bluegill that we stocked originally. As that evolved, we started manipulating that ratio. So maybe we'd stock more forage and we'd even reduce the number of bass. And so in some cases nowadays, particularly where we have customers who say, look, I, I, I want to produce really quality and, and I want this to be a trophy bass pond. I want to produce four, five, six-pound bass as quickly as I can. I want to produce double-digit fish down the road. You know, how do we start a pond out if that's our objective? We know that's what we want to do. In a lot of those cases, we'll stock 40, 50, even more to one. Instead of that old 10-to-1 ratio, 1,000 to 100, we might stock several hundred to or several thousand forage to 50 bass per acre. And the idea being, let's make sure that not only today and next month, there's plenty to eat, but let's, let's make sure that six months from now or 12 months from now, there's still plenty to eat. And again, the idea being the more predators that we put in there, the, the more taxing they are on the forage base. And going back to what I said earlier, you only get one shot to, to get that forage established. Once those predators are in there, it becomes much more challenging. We do it. We stock threadfin shad. We stock intermediate. You have to stop, start stocking adult bluegill, you know, because if you stock fingerling bluegill in an established pond, well, they get gobbled up so quickly, it, it does almost no good. Same with threadfin shad. You got to stock adult threadfin shad. Because if you stock baby threadfin shad in there, well, before they have a chance to become sexually mature, they get eaten. So it becomes a much more challenging proposition, much more expensive proposition. So it's interesting the way that's evolved. And we don't always stock ponds that way. But a lot of times now, particularly where there's a where the the objective from the get go is I want to produce I want this to be a trophy bass lake and we hear that a lot we say look here here's really how we need to start out it's a little more upfront cost but in the long run you can't go back and replace what you didn't do at the very beginning and so we we've, we've had a tremendous amount of success doing that in in, in these lakes in the, in the last last decade well and you know i, I was having a conversation today ironically uh, about this uh, about a pond uh, on a on a piece of land that I'm that I have listed, high fence place, 430 acres, gorgeous gorgeous place in Coosa County. 
So if any of our listeners are interested, they can reach out to me. We'll talk about it. But they got a gorgeous, probably, I think it's an eight or nine acre lake on it, maybe 10 acres, beautiful. And I was asking him, I was like, what, what kind of pond management have you done on this? And he said, well, you know, uh, seven, eight years ago, we hired, uh, I think they hired you guys. I think they, they said we hired Southeastern Pond Management to come in, check our lake. They said that, uh, you know, that the bass were way overpopulated in here and that the fish were starving. So uh, they stocked it with a bunch of uh, bluegill and uh, some threadfin shad, I believe. And uh, he said, but we hadn't done anything since then. We, we probably should have. And I'm, he said, but man, we really went to work on them bass. We really went to work on them yeah. those first two years. Yeah. And I'm like, you got two people with a rod and reel. Yeah. <laughs> and for the first two years, maybe you did catch a lot of bass out of there and maybe, but you ain't put a dent in it. <laughs> I, and if you hadn't done really anything tough. in two years, yeah. man, you just, that's short-term wasted money, honestly. If well, you that, it, it is, it is Brian. And that, that's what I was getting at at the beginning when I said, you know, it's the most exciting thing we do. Everybody loves to do it. It's the sexy thing to do. Everybody wants to stock fish to fix all problems and uh and listen there's guys out there that that's what they do they sell fish and you know they see water and their solution is well we need to put fish in it and i'm here to tell you that's not always the case of what you just described is what we we see that kind of scenario a lot and uh and you're right it is it you are buying expensive bass food is what you're doing if you're trying to overwhelm an overcrowded bass lake with food. Now, that's part of the solution, but the other part of the solution, and and just as important, in fact, maybe on the front end, more important, is we've got to reduce the number of predators. But, you know, you you cannot, and I'm here to tell you, and I've tried to do it, it it will break your wallet to try to overwhelm uh, a pond with food. You can back up a semi-truck, every month full of full of forage and those bass will say thank you very much and they'll just gobble them all up and at some point uh, you've got to say we got to attack this thing from the other side and that is we've got to take some of these mouths out of the out of the out of the herd you know we got to thin down the number of predators and when you do those things in concert that's when you see results that's when you see yeah. in three months, you start saying, wow, these fish are starting to have bellies on them now. And that's when in six months or a year, you look back at your data from your electrofishing and you say, wow, look at the difference in the average weight of a 12 or 14 inch bass uh, in 2021 versus springtime 2022. We did all this stuff over the course of the year and this same size fish in the population is 15 20 25 percent healthier because there are there's not as much competition and so there's more available food that's when you start making strides and uh, so i'm here to tell you listen we we sell a lot of fish we grow a lot of fish and it's important i mean ultimately that's what bass eat but if you're trying to stock enough food to feed a an overcrowded, uh, bass crowded situation, you are gonna you're gonna be banging your head on the wall out of frustration because those suckers can eat. They can I, eat. I always and I, 
I'm you getting know, in the weeds a little bit, but it was it was so funny. We stocked fathead minnows, and the type that we stocked, we call them rosy reds. They're they're real bright red colored, and so they're easy to see, particularly early in the spring when the water's still clear. And these new ponds will stock these things, and they spawn real early in, in February and March. There's no bass. There's nothing in there to eat them, and so a lot of times. By the time we get into June, stock those bass fingerlings. There's just billions of them. I mean, just clouds of them. <laughs> and uh, I remember years ago stocking a lake, and I mean, it was wall to wall fathead minnows. And we put the bass in there, and a few months later, uh, the fella calls me. He says, "Hey," he said, "something, something's going on in my pond." He said, uh, "He said, you know, I used to see those." Uh, those rosy, those rosy reds, you know, those, those, those fathead minnows everywhere. I mean, they were wall to wall, and I don't know if they died off or what, but they're gone. I don't see them anymore. And it just made me chuckle, and I said, yeah, they, they're not there anymore. They got eaten. Yeah. And, and, and I'm telling you, those bass, you know, I had a professor in college that called largemouth bass a saber-toothed tiger of the 20th century. I mean, if those jokers grew to 50 pounds, I mean, we wouldn't be swimming in the lakes and rivers around here. You know, they yeah. they are voracious predators. And they, they are. And kind of going back to Pond, I was talking about, like you said, and you said it perfect, you really can't outfeed them uh, a pond that's already right. overpopulated with bass, especially one that's overpopulated. And you've got to remove your bass numbers to get that thing back in check. And, and, and I know this is... Uh, this is a question that we can probably have a, and, and we'll have another episode on, but you know, if you've got an existing pond, if you guys have come in and said, yes, your pond is overpopulated with bass. We need to do two things. We need to remove bass. We need to put forage in. If you're an owner of a pond, I mean, what kind of, when we're talking about how many bass do we have to remove per acre to make a dent, to make a difference? Not a maintenance. Yeah, well, not a maintenance of a pond that's already in check. But sure, an overpopulated well, and, and, pond. And, yeah, that, that that's variable. But but I'll say this: fifty, you know, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy-five pounds to the acre is not unheard of. I bought a farm, uh, bought a piece of property that had a lake on it less than a year ago. Bass crowded about a twelve-acre lake. Uh, first thing I did. I hadn't been on the property two weeks. Had the, had our shock boat in there. We took 375 pounds of bass out of a 12-acre lake, and we've just that was just the initial sledgehammer, you know. And we've continued to harvest, 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 you know. So I've taken 50 pounds to the acre out, you know, in the last few months, and and really am not done. And I have, and I have, and will continue to add forage, you know. I, I'm, you know, I'll add some more forage this spring, so. You know, it's like a candle with two wicks, and you light both ends of it. Uh, you know, it's important to do that. Uh, those two things work in concert with one another. Uh, but we tell people all the time, if if you don't follow up with one or the other, then you're only getting halfway to your goal. You know, when you think about a, a just take my buddy's lake, 10 acres, the one I was just talking about, 10-acre lake, overpopulated. Let's say you need to take 75, that's 750 bass that you need to take out. You know how <laughs> yeah, long it takes yeah. you to catch 750 bass with a rod and reel? Uh, it's, it, and it becomes, 
it becomes nearly impossible. And yeah. and now and that's an extreme example, but even thirty or forty pounds, you know, call it forty pounds, that's four hundred pounds of fish. And depending on the severity of the stunning, the bass crowded, you know, how severe it is, a lot of times these bass stunt at 10, 11, 12 inches in length. So the most common size that you're going to catch is, you know, 10, 12 inches long. I mean, that fish might weigh, you know, half a pound, three quarters of a pound. So you might have to catch seven, seven, eight hundred of them to get 400 pounds. That's a great point. That's a great point. It's, it becomes challenging. We, we, we use electrofishing to do it a lot of times. There's a cost to it, but, uh, but, you know, the other great thing about doing it with the, with the shot boat is we don't, you know, it's, it's indiscriminate. It doesn't, you know, I always feel like when I catch fish on hook and line and those are the ones I'm removing, well, heck, I'm removing the very fish that, that are aggressive, that are biting my artificial lures. And those are the ones I want to stay in there. I've got a rule, my own personal rule. If I catch fish on a topwater bait, I don't care how big or little it is. I'll eat, I turn it back. You want to keep that you know, genetics in there. That's an aggressive absolutely, fish. Absolutely. That's like shooting all the goblin turkeys, you know. You kind of, <laughs> one that gobbles so much, you sort of feel bad shooting him. You're, you don't get to hear him anymore. So, you know, shocking is, is, is a little less discriminant, and, and it doesn't just take the aggressive fish. You just get what, what you get. Yeah, but that's good the stuff. the absence of electrofish and you know, you have to, you have to get them out of there. You have to get them out of there. Well, one last question. You said something a while ago that I meant to ask you about. You said when you're stocking your, your forage, you might stock 90% bluegill and 10% shellcracker. What's the difference? A, bl- a bluegill and a shellcracker are two completely different species. And they, they really, if you saw them side by side as adults, particularly you, you wouldn't even, you, you have no problem telling them apart. A shellcracker, the most distinctive feature is they have a a real bright orange spot on their ear flap over their gills on the gill flap, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're also called red ear sunfish because of that. And uh, they they get quite a bit bigger as a, as full grown adults than than bluegill generally speaking. But the the biggest difference, the reason we only put ten percent on the initial stocking is unlike bluegill, which spawn multiple times starting usually in in late April or May or certainly by mid-May all the way through October shellcracker spawn one time so they're not nearly as prolific they're not nearly they don't contribute mm-hmm. anywhere near what bluegill do in the in the way of forage and they're they're great to, to ca- they're 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 great to target folks love to catch them they fight they're they're great eating and all that stuff, but but a shellcracker cannot replace a bluegill in its ability to produce forage. That's what uh, makes the bluegill so special, and and that's why that combination of bass and bluegill works so well is because those brim those bluegill will spawn every month for month after month after month after month, and that's what it takes to feed those bass. That's a, you answered my question and I did not realize that. I did not realize that the blue grill spawned that many more times, you know, that they produce that much more than the shell cracker. So great answer on that. They do. And that's, that's another reason why we use, we stock a lot of tilapia and there's a couple of states, Georgia, uh, for example, they're not allowed, but 
they uh, they consider them an exotic and invasive species. But we stock a lot of a lot of tilapia for for food. Yeah. We'll stock adult tilapia and let those jokers spawn all summer and early fall, and they are extremely fecund, meaning they they they're reproductive. They'll spawn every 18 days, every 20 days. Wow. Those jokers are spitting out a new crop of food. So um, that's what makes them uh, so useful as bass forage. Uh, we stock a handful of adults out there and just let them go to town. That population can explode on them. Yeah, absolutely. Very good stuff, quickly. Norman. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate it. That was uh, another good segment. Man, I love love what you bring to the show and uh, the way you educate us on here. So thank you for joining us. And guys, if y'all have any questions, man, I, I can tell you this. I've known Norman a long time now, and and he's a guy that's not gonna not gonna mind if you just p- have a question to pick up the phone and call him and ask him. He'll be glad to answer your questions. So. Norman, if somebody's got a pond out there, they're thinking of, they have some questions concerning stocking or, or removing fish uh, or anything else. What's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, and I just echo what you're saying. I mean, that's what we do. Been fortunate enough to to uh, to be in business for 30 plus years. And this is what we love to do, and we do it every day. And more than happy to talk to anybody, answer any questions, uh, and let us help you make the best decisions about whether you need to stock fish or not. But you can reach me on my cell phone. It's a great way to get me, 205-288-1371. Or you can uh, hit me on the website, and that's sepond.com, and contact one of our biologists or myself directly uh, through the website. Good stuff, Norman. All right, buddy, we appreciate it, man. Stay safe out there. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, thanks, Brian. All right, thank you. All right, guys, let's take a few minutes and hear from some of this week's sponsors. Fishing Chaos invites all high school and college and social fishing teams to create a free team or club on the Fishing Chaos platform. Clubs can hold tournaments within the high school team or invite rival clubs and teams to compete in CPR, which is catch photo release, events as well as live weigh-in events as Fishing Chaos supports most any tournament format. The addition of the new Fishing Chaos club management platform allows teams and clubs to easily communicate with their members about upcoming events. It automates the tracking of Angler of the Year or Team of the Year series standings and collects all angler results. If you're interested in setting up a free team or club or in hosting a tournament on the Fishing Chaos app, please contact fishingchaos.com or call Jesse Wilson at 256-508-1853. And brought to you by MB Ranch King Hunting Blinds and Feeders are built to last right here in the USA. With durability and convenience in mind, MB Ranch King's maintenance-free blinds are built and constructed with high-grade steel and come in a variety of sizes to meet any hunter's needs. We also offer high-quality, easy-to-use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more information or get a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King built in the pursuit of perfection and brought to you by boaters list is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water if you own or run a boat you know how difficult it can be to find the right company for the task at hand boaters list makes it easy to find the service you're looking for 
locate anything from fuel docks to service repairs or rentals of large yachts or even paddle boats and all things in between at boaterslist.com. They will always strive to make it better on the water. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, man, I always love having Norman on with Southeastern Pond Management. Guy does a phenomenal job around the whole state of Alabama. And I mean, he even goes over into Mississippi, Tennessee, Georgia. He just continues to grow and he, and he does because he's so good at what he does and passionate about it. And you, you won't find a better guy to help you take care of your pond. If you've got questions like me and Norman both said, always reach out to him. Uh, he'll answer anything you got, I'm sure. But hey, let's get to the second segment. Let's talk about fishing. We talked about stocking ponds on the first one, but I want to hear what is crazy, crazy weather we have right now and the weather changes and the rain. I want to hear from a fisherman. I want to hear what the fish are doing right now. And I can't think of anybody better than my buddy Braxton Hopper to jump on the show with us. Braxton, what are you doing, buddy? Uh, right now I'm heading to go fishing. I, I, can't, I can't let this one pass me up. And I'm going to tell you what, they're going to bite today. Yes, sir, they are. They're biting right now. Right now. Got a little yeah. warm, got a little sunshine mm -hmm. popped out. It was cloudy this morning. But uh, here this afternoon, the sun's broke through a little bit. And, uh, man, I bet you you can take that old chatterbait right now and tear some lips up. I brought two rods, and both of them are chatterbaits. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I'm that good that I just pegged that. You got it going on, man. You do this. This is your thing. You know this. <laughs> it's your thing. This well, hey, thing. Braxton, let's, let's, let's talk about you, man. That's enough about me. This show's about you. So you're, you're fishing for you, for you guys who may not have heard Braxton on here before you're a senior this year, right? Are you a junior? You're yes, senior. Sir. I'm senior. a senior. Yes, sir. That's right. You're senior at Chelsea high school, a member of the Chelsea, uh, fishing team. And right. uh, man, tell us what is going on with Chelsea fishing right now. How you guys, how many right now. you got, how are y'all doing? When does it start or has it started? Uh, it's, it's full stream. It never stops, but, uh, Right now, I think the most I've seen from my, what I've seen the most people on the team in my three years of being there. And right now, we're getting ready. There's a tournament on Lake Harding in about two weeks, and everybody's going to go to that one. I'm fishing the uh, there's a two day Airport Marine on Lake Gunnersville this weekend. I'm going. I'm getting prepared for all that. But really, that's about it. That's all that's going on. We fished a couple tournaments a couple weeks ago at Martin. And they were like back to back, and we did pretty good in those. But uh, after that, it's been kind of, it was, we took a slump for a minute, but now I think it's about to crank back up. Well, good, man. I know you had a great year last year and, and, uh, man, you won a lot of tournaments, came in first right. in them and, and Chelsea did good, but, uh, man, you gotta, you, you know, you can be able to repeat and bring back some wins again this year. I'm trying my best, dude. It's, I haven't won one yet, but I've come real close and I've had, you know, one that got off that would have sealed it for me at, that happens to everybody, but I want to tell myself I'm due. I can't get this close and it not happen, but I really don't know. It's all, it, it has to be your day if you win. Yeah, that's, that's right. How it is. Well, the first mistake you made was taking my son fishing on, in a tournament the other day. Dude, uh, he did good. He did good. If they were biting, we would have won the tournament. I felt, I felt confident in that. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Maybe I've taught him something in his, in his 18 years what you've done i mean i don't know what you did but it was it was right well, you got good. that one down 
Good, good, man. Glad to hear it. Yeah, well, we got a baseball game, as you know, this afternoon. So uh, right. we're going to knock this thing out, and then I'm going to have to head to Pell City right there at Logan Martin, man, one of my favorite places to be. And uh, But one. instead of going up there on the lake, I'm going to be up there watching some baseball this afternoon. But what are the fish doing right now, Braxton? I mean, that's what this show's about, and we love hearing about you know what you guys are doing uh you, you high school fishermen man y'all get after it y'all compete right i know you're on the water a lot with this time of year and the weather weather changes i mean how do you approach a day right now well today days like today it's sunny it's 75 degrees there's a little bit of wind that makes fish go shallow and they stay there until something changes and they go to eat something triggers them in their brain and they go shallow they go to eat anything that moves so aggressive. right now, it's yeah, very aggressive. They get mean right now. And the water is still cold, but this temperature, they know they know it's hot outside. They know what it feels like outside. And that'll just bring them up shallow. They know it feels good. And they, they want to feel good, so they're going to go up shallow, and they're going to start eating because this is what makes them bite. Yeah. Well, so All that kind of stuff. We know they're moving shallow. Like you already said, you got two rods, and both of them got a chatterbait on. So you know kind of how you're going to approach this afternoon. You're going to beat the bank, right? I mean, you're fishing. Uh, is there any grass right now that you're fishing, or are you just fishing laydowns? Are you just going down the bank fishing? If, if there's some on the bank, I'll fish. I know I'll fish grass. I'll fish it around grass. I'll throw it up in the grass. I'll punch the grass, too. I should have brought one of them. And if there's anything on the bank that a fish could sit on, you throw a chatterbait by it, your, your chances will be high. They might not be on every single one, or they might, but – if you're throwing something by the bank, something on the bank that a fish can be on, you're you're in the right area. All right, where are you headed today, by the way? Well, right now I'm headed to go into one of my buddy's ponds. He's just he called me up and was like, "Hey, I think they're biting. You want to come on?" I was like, "Yeah, I got. I, I'll come on." Heck yeah, dang right. Hey, I love that pond fishing. It's a good one. I haven't been in a minute, so this is I'm I'm not used to not having the trolling motor around to move around. Right. I'm going to step on this one. <laughs> hey uh, so let's let's say that you were going let's say that instead of going to a pond you were headed to logan martin or lay lake i know you fish both those a lot you fish martin a lot and right. when we think this type of year like you said braxton the fish are moving up they are up and especially right. with the sun out 75 degrees you know the fish are tearing it up right now and if you're going right. and you're like man i want to go fish today I know I'm be shallow. Normal fish a rattle trap or jerk bait or uh, chatter bait or whatever it may be. If we're deep water fishing, we can look at a body of water at a topo map in the summertime when they're out deep, and we can see these points and these channels and these, you know, and we can kind of go, okay, specific areas that I want to target based off of a topo map. When right. you're going to bank fishing, there's a lot of bank. I think Lake Martin's got 976 miles of shoreline. Right. Logan Martin's not much difference. I think it's in the six or 700 miles of shoreline. How do right. you narrow it down? How do you decide this time of year what area of that lake you're going to fish? Well, a lot of it has to do with what's on the bank and what the bank can open how deep it is what it has to offer like what's on the bank that a fish could get on and how much of there like how much of it there is and if you can find that you can go down the bank and you can look and there'll be you'll have the now you'll have the map on your graphs so you can kind of see like what the bank what it looks like under the water like how mm -hmm. deep it'll be if it drops straight off if it's a big flat 
you can see all that and you kind of got to feel it out really you got to fish them you, you really don't know what they'll be on there's not one i mean there's a few but you can't really just say okay they're gonna be on this bank every time i go fishing you can't really do that you got to figure it out so you got to fish if they want to be on straight drop-off banks you got to fish those and check those if they want to be on flatter banks you got to go up there and check that and eventually it'll they'll tell you what they want to be on and when you figure that out you just run a bunch of that and you'll be set you'll know what they're on and you know you know what to throw you'll be on them you know i would think this time of year right now we've got cold days we've got hot days we've got muddy water days we've got clear water it's all over the freaking board right right so i would think that these fish right now with the weather changes drastic weather changes i would think they're still going to be close to deep water so right in my mind i would probably go out there and go okay where was i catching fish on a wintertime pattern because they're probably going to be real close to that because they're there's still a good chance they're going back and forth between them based on the day right that is right well that is correct they'll they'll some that'll sit out in deeper water or they'll they'll pull off a little bit and they're not going to move far they're not just going to run 300 yards away just to something different they're just going to go to what's closest to them and what they got right so if they're if you were catching fish in an in an area that during the winter when it was real cold and say that was off the bank in some pretty deep water, you can go up to where the, like the shallowest, the closest shallow place you can find, and they will probably fish there. In yeah. my mind, but those fish they'll move around a lot, so they can move anywhere. But if you go up shallow, and to uh, after fishing a place that you've caught them in winter deep deep fishing, you'll be in the right place. I would think you'll yeah. be around them. I would too. So in my mind, I would go out there and I would be concentrating more on the outside edges. I don't know. And, and if the fish, I wouldn't be back in the backs of the creeks yet. I think they're right. going to be there and, and some are probably there now, but I think closer right. out to the main, to the main channel you are, I think would be really good because the fish would be moving back and forth. We got another, uh, got another cold front coming through don't we i'm gonna look real in quick. north alabama yes in north alabama i think central and south alabama is gonna pro- it might well, get a little bit colder but it'll still stay pretty nice i, I mean think. we're gonna go saturday the highs 54 the lows 39 so it's gonna be back right. down in highs 50 lows in the 30s so those oh, fish okay. may bounce right back out maybe right so yeah i think i'd stay on them right. outside edges right now a little bit it wouldn't that's not a bad idea and there's always fish that live in places like they get born there and they live there their entire life and they will never leave and those that you can always go catch or you can try to go catch residents it just can some conditions are a lot better than others and you can always go find fish that move around they pull out deep when it gets warm they'll pull back up when it gets colder they'll pull out deep again and there's all you have a lot of variety you can go yeah try and catch all right, let's talk about chatterbait. You've got two of them tied on. We've already discussed that. We know that this is a great time of year to have a chatterbait tied on. Right. Question number one: What about color? Does it matter this time of year, or just throw a dang, or just get a generic color and don't worry about it? Or do you do you think color comes into play? And number two: What's your secret to fishing a chatterbait? Do you do something different? Do you try? What do you try to do? with that chatterbait other than they just throw it and reel it 
Well, I think color has to do a little bit with it. Like, well, usually a chatterbait bite is usually a reaction strike. It's just something that's loud. It makes a lot of vibration. It's moving quick, and they got they go and put their mouth on it before they know what they're doing. But and there's colors that will trigger that, like a bright coat, like a. Right now, I would throw a probably some with some orange in it. It doesn't have to be straight orange, or it could be straight orange, but some with some orange in it, and some to go with like a orange trailer or something dipped in orange chartreuse anything and then i would throw a white there's always fish eating shad no matter what time of year it is but and then you just cat you cast it by something and you reel it down by it and they'll just go they'll go put their mouth on it before they know what they're doing and i really that's all i do really is just if there's some on the bank i'll cast up to and i reel it back i don't jerk it let it drop reel it real fast or kill it i just kind of I, I chuck and wine mostly. I might chuck and let it go to the bottom and yes, sir. Try to tickle That's the top it. of a little grass every now and then, or bump a stick if there's one around. Right. right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what's yeah. next for Chelsea High School? Where y'all at next? Uh, we are going to head be at Lake Harding March the fifth. That's right. You just told me that a while ago, March fifth. How many people are on the Chelsea team now? I would say probably closer to forty people. Good gracious. There's a, it's a lot, man. It's a Chelsea fishing has come a long way. It sounds like it. That's that's really phenomenal, man, and that's encouraging for right. the future of the the sport. And, uh, and, uh, and I love and a lot of them are real young kids. That's awesome. Well, that's yes, good sir. stuff, man. Well, if you were going to give a tip of the day today, if somebody's going fishing this weekend, next few days, what would your tip be? Well, right now, I would say go shallow and throw at anything on the bank: grass, wood, stumps, rocks, anything. But this weekend, it's going to be a little colder, so you might need to they'll, – they'll still be fishing that area. They're not going to leave. They just might lock down a little bit and hunker down, not move. But then you got to got to fish a little bit slower with your jig, shaky head maybe, if it's real hard. Uh, you can still throw moving bait, like crankbaits, chatterbaits still work. But if it were me, I would stick shallow through this weekend and – and probably until it gets warm again, and then all you got to worry about not fishing shallow anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's if it right. were me, yeah, that's good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate it, buddy. Yes, sir. Keep us posted. Look forward to having you on through the year, and uh, keep up with uh, with what's going on in the high school fishing. So uh, yes, always sir. appreciate you jumping on, buddy. Anytime, man. Go wet a hook, man. Catch a big one today. I'll, I'm gonna go try my best. All right, Braxton. Take care, man. We'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. You too. You have a good one. You too. All right, guys, let's take just a few minutes and hear from some more of this week's sponsors. The hunting exchange. In this day and age, we all know it's a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms. And that's where the hunting exchange steps in. Hunting exchange is an app for iOS and Android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands, saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal, and as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms, and listing items are also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or a knife. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. And brought to you by... 
Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro Series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the Photonist 16mm filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and our hybrid filmless 18mm image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16mm monocular, the PD Pro B 16mm binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And brought to you by... North Alabama is the place to go for your next fishing expedition. North Alabama is home to eight picturesque lakes, Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler, Weiss, Smith, Neely Henry, Lake Gunnersville, and Bear Creek Lakes. Each lake is well-stocked with a variety of fish, and in North Alabama, fishing is great year-round. For more information, visit www.northalabama.org and click on plan to download a North Alabama fishing guide. All right, guys, welcome back to the show, man. Uh, great segment. Love having, uh, love having those high school guys on here. It still amazes me how good some of them can, can speak on something like this. It's, it's, you know, a podcast is not something they're used to. So when these young guys get on here and do such a great job, man, uh, hats off to them. Love hearing from them and love, uh, love how these, these, these high school programs are growing and, uh, and it just speaks volumes for the state of where our sport is right now. But, hey, let's get on to segment number three with uh, Brent Crow. Brent, you've been down at Logan Martin today, right? That's right. We've got the ABT South, the first uh, tournament of the year coming up Saturday. So we got down here this morning and trying to find some big ones. Well, how, how was the bike? I mean, you know, for me, it's Logan Martin. It's all about catching big ones. I mean, you can always get bid, and that was the case today. I didn't have any size, so I got another day tomorrow, and I don't know. I may wind up practicing on Saturday, but that's you know, that's that's part of it in the springtime. Sometimes it's better to find them on Saturday than on Friday, for sure. Yeah, that's right, man. Well, hopefully you'll find some good ones. Uh, and and Logan is like that a lot. I know that you know there's plenty of fish. You can catch a lot of numbers there. You know, it's such a great spotted bass lake, but then you've got, you know, the, the large mouth are, are there too, obviously, but is that kind of what you, when you go into a tournament like this, I mean, kind of what's your plan? Are you trying to go ahead and catch, if you f- catch five spots, that's good. You got a, you got a limit and then you start trying to catch the big ones or do you kind of do that first? The large mouth. Well, just you know, it just depends. I mean, on Logan, you need, uh, you know, it's easy to catch 10 or 12 pounds of spots most of the time, so you need large mouth. Of course, the water's down five feet here. I've never been here with water down, so yeah, no grass, barely any wood, and you know, not many docks in the water right now, so it's, it's kind of different. I did actually catch a few large mouth today, but um, you know, it's you know, I really, I try to fish for big fish all the time. Of course, you know, sometimes it don't work, but, um, you know, I've, I've never thought that oh, I want to go catch a limit because, you know, like down here, if you catch a limit weighs eight pounds, what good is it do you? So, right. You know, sometimes, especially in the wintertime, it seems like the best bites early. So I'm going to target big fish early. And then hopefully, you know, if, I think most of the time, if you target big ones, you catch enough little ones to fill out a limit anyway. So that's my philosophy anyway. Well, you know, I didn't think about that, but 
you know, I, I was up at Logan um, earlier this week, and, and, and you're right, the water is way down still. There's hardly any boat docks in the water. You know, the grass obviously is not in the water, most of the woodland. So it makes it a totally different fishery for sure. With it being warmer weather and the fish moving up, that's got to be a little challenging, right? I think, you know, from what I've seen so far is just cover water and cover as much water as you can. I mean, there's one thing about this lake, just like the rest of the Coosa, they're not starved. They're, I've I've never seen so many shad in, in all my life. I mean, I don't know why they'd ever buy an artificial bait because they can <laughs> get a shad anywhere. I mean, yep. their shad are out 20 feet, 10 feet, five. I mean, it's just, this, this place is just full of shad. So you would, you know, you know, you would expect it's be a better fishery than it is as far as as far as weight goes. But you know, I don't know if it's the pressure or what. But I mean, it's you know, it's not a you know, as far as the Coosa goes. It's probably the best numbers lake, but not the best size lake. Probably the worst size lake. And, I agree. You know, like I said, it's not because they don't have anything to eat. That's for sure. Yeah, that is strange. You know, because you're right, man. It's just tons of bait in that lake, but it's not known as a big fish lake. And you know, I I know that they catch eight, nine, ten pounders in it every year. But they're far and few between, and, and, you know, it's more of a two-pound, two-and-a-half, three-pound lake usually and instead of like it's, you know, going down to Lay Lake, and it's known for better fish and bigger fish. You know, when, when you're fishing this time of year and, you know, it was cooler a few days ago, then it warms up. We get a lot of rain. Now this coming weekend, it's going to be back in the 50s, lows in the 30s. How does that affect, do the fish move back and forth to deep to shallow, or do they just kind of commit, come shallow and stay there? What's that? I don't think, you know, with what we're having coming up weather-wise, I don't think it's going to affect the water temp that much. I mean, it's going to warm up. I mean, there was some 60-degree water today, and it's not going to drop to 48 or nothing. It's not Florida. So right. I don't think that the fish are going to. They're going to do anything here, you know, different uh, just because of a couple of cold days or a couple of cold nights. And, you know, spotted bass are not that way anyway. I mean, sometimes they bite better when it's cold. So, you know, I'm not expecting the weather to hurt the fishery as much, uh, you know, make it colder and on your hands and all. But I don't think it's going to affect the fish very much. That's right. That's right. What are, What's kind of the baits you this time of year? What's kind of your some of your go to's? Well, it seems like everywhere it's, you know, February is crankbait month and early March crankbait month. And then you transition to looking for more spawning stuff, plastics and all that. But for now it's, you know, I, it, it really doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm, I'm probably going to throw a crankbait in February and you get some the rain that, that we've had in the last week or two that stains the water up. That helps the crankbait bite. So it's something I like to do. And, you know, like I said, you can cover so much water with it. And, you know, it just takes one good stretch and you can get well in a hurry. That's right. Yeah. So what, what, how deep a crankbait are you running this time of year? Most of the time, you know, I, I like to throw a square bill down to, uh, you know, I'll throw an eight or 10 foot dredger. But I mean, for the most part, I'm trying to, trying to parallel the banks, hit, you know, hit rocks in the water, wood, whatever. So, you know, just a uh, square bill that runs three or four feet deep is generally frit side. I, most of the fish I caught today was on Berkeley frit side, and it runs about three or four foot. Good deal. What about up on the Tennessee? Have you been fishing up there in the last couple of days, a week? Yeah. Um, at Gunnersville, you know, they had the Toyota Series this week, and, you know, I thought that the weights were really good for what Gunnersville's been the last few years. I thought they really caught them well. Um, obviously, the guy that – I didn't see the results for today, but the guy that had the lead actually locked down – 
fish below gunners with the ammo wheeler and caught smallmouth, but the, you know, the majority of the field that caught them caught them in gunners. Well, and I, like I said, I thought the weights were good. I was over there last week and had a pretty good day. So hopefully gunners was on the rebound a little bit. It had gotten, you know, I think it had a down cycle for the last three or four years, but it seems like it's, it's coming back up. And then, you know, we all this rain, you know, the Coosa doesn't affect as much as the Tennessee River. I mean, we got a flood on Tuesday night in North Alabama, and so you're going to have spillways open and muddy water all throughout the uh, throughout the chain. Um, when that recedes, you know, if it stays warm, I, I think at Pickwick, Wheeler, Wilson, it's all going to be really good fishing. It's time. Uh, hopefully, I'm just – all this flood in the last two springs is just it's driven me crazy. I mean, the yeah. entire month of March, it seems like it's been – a flood so hopefully you know i don't mind it now but i don't need i don't want any more rain no more flooding and and like i said when the water gets back to normal a little bit i think it's gonna it's you know the first week of march is generally the best time to be smallmouth fishing for me so i'm looking forward to it and hoping we don't get any more rain heck yeah man i hear that and but man, that's that's really encouraging with the weights up there at Gunnerful right now, and 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 yeah, seems like last year, you know, and, and even the year before, uh, Gunnerful wasn't maybe what you would consider up to par for what it's been in the past. And I don't know if that's like you said, maybe just a down cycle. I don't know if it's fishing pressure with everybody staying at home and not working <laughs> with COVID <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just more fishing pressure, but. Uh, it's encouraging that 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 it's that the weights are starting off good this year. Uh, are, is it the same? Are you fishing kind of the same way up in Gunnersville? Still, you're still throwing those square bills. I throw, you know, for the most part, it's chatterbait, square bill, and rail trap in the spring at Gunnersville. Of course, you're fishing. You know, it's mostly eelgrass, still some hydrilla and, and millfoil up, but uh, you know, cover water again. That's that's the uh, name of the game, and and you know, with the it's always been a great rattle trap lake, but over the last couple of years, I think I've caught them better on a square bit on a chatterbait than I have a rattle trap, and that's the way it was last week too. And you know, the thing about gunners, well, those fish are just—you know—it doesn't matter how cold it is; they're always shallow. And sometimes it blows my mind how shallow they are with water temps as low as they are. But that's where they live in Gunnersville, and I think that's the best way to to catch them. I think there's—you know—this week in the Toyota, it seemed like there was a lot of people throwing Alabama rigs over the over the probably a little deeper grass but you know those that and the like i said chatterbait seems it's always been a good bait over there too but you know just standard stuff and it's just all about finding where the fish are so you know i, I asked this question in the last segment i'd love to get your take on this especially as the guy that tournament fishes and goes to different lakes and stuff and you know this time of year in particular you know you, you know the fish have moved up you know, you're fishing shallower, whether it's in two foot or whether it's in five or six foot. But, you know, when you look at a, a Tennessee River or, or Gunnerful or a Logan or some of these huge bodies of water, there's a whole bunch of freaking bank to fish. How do you do you try to target specific tight banks like maybe banks closer to deep water? Uh, like are do you are are the fish going back into the, the creeks? Uh, in the pockets further, how do you know how to narrow down that vast area of shorelines that we have in some of these big lakes? Well, a lot of times it's just hit or miss, you know, trial and error, hit or miss. And, and like, if you, you know, I'm always looking at the map to see, 
if I catch one, okay, what, what was what's the map look like? And then try to duplicate it. And then also just, you know, where the bank changes when it goes from pea gravel to chunk rock or when it's like the deeper uh, deeper water up next to the bank. I mean, there's so many variables. And, and like the most important thing is pay attention. When you do catch one and then if you can repeat it and, you know, they get on a pattern, that's that's what I'm trying to do. But, you know, sometimes you just you just have to try everything. Try shallow flat banks, try deeper banks, try rock banks, pea gravel until, you know, you hopefully you get some bites. That's the whole key is getting bit. And then you can start putting putting the pieces together when you get bit. Well, that's a good that's a good tip of the day right there is um pay attention, right? And and when you do catch that fish, uh look at your map, see what you see what the contour is and and man and try to replicate it, duplicate it and and uh that helps you narrow down the water right there. What about what about color right now if you're throwing a chatterbait or crankbait? Is there does does color seem to make a difference this time of year or the fish just feeding well i'm always you know most of this time of year the water's going to be staying so i'm always throwing red on the tennessee river it seems like on the coast i i I can throw red or a chartreuse one but uh as far as chatterbait goes it's either green pumpkin or white um but you know for the most part even on smith lake i like red as far as crankbaits go and i don't know you know i'm not that color focused as a fisherman and I, and I don't think it matters that much but I know red works in the spring and no you know no reason to doubt it so yeah <laughs> no reason it. to fight it right <laughs> exactly <laughs> I hear you I hear you well man I, I appreciate you taking the time to call in today and 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 definitely good luck this weekend in the tournament here on Logan if somebody wants to book a trip with you Brent what's the best way for them to contact you you can just find me on the web at uh, NorthAlabamaBass.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, and uh, you know, I tell you what, this year's just been crazy. I don't have my next open day is in May, so wow. If you want to book something? For, <laughs> the fall is basically the next the next thing I have will probably be in the fall, but that's great smallmouth fishing on Pickwick. So absolutely, but book early. Book early, man. That's good stuff. Guys, y'all give Brent a call and book early. He's uh, obviously he, he books up because he knows what he's doing out there and he catches a lot of fish and you won't regret booking a trip with him. So Brent, man, stay safe out there. Good luck this weekend. And we look forward to talking to you soon, buddy. Sounds good. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. All right, guys, let's take a few more minutes and hear from a couple more sponsors. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats, pontoon boats, to bigger bay boats, offshore boats, and hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, financial experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessories staff to support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff now locally owned six miles north of I-10 on 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or call 251-937-1380. And brought to you by OutdoorAlabama.com. That's where I learned the basics of how to hunt and fish, including what's in season and which license to buy. Learn more at OutdoorAlabama.com. Go hunt, go fish, get outdoors. 
This message was brought to you by the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. And brought to you by... Bob Seeley from Seeley Outdoors wants you to mark your calendar for March 25th, 26th, and 27th for the annual McDonald's Big Bass Splash at Goose Pond Colony on Lake Gunnersville. There will be over $290,000 in cash and prizes guaranteed with hourly payouts and much more. Go to Seeley outdoors.com and get registered online or call 1-888-698-2591 for more information again march 25th 26th 27th for the annual mcdonald's big bass splash at goose pond colony in scottsboro alabama on beautiful lake gunnerville and that's sealyoutdoors.com s-e-a-l-y outdoors see you there all right, guys, welcome back to the show. What a good show it was. Exciting time of the year to be fishing, to say the least. Weather's up and down, water's up and down, current, no current. It's just kind of all over the place. But the one thing we know is the fish are moving up and they're feeding right now. So, man, get out there, put a chatterbait on, put a square bait on. And uh, hey, like, like Brent said, Pay attention when you catch that fish and, and, and duplicate it. And man, the fish are, the fish are active right now. And, and it's a great time of the year to be out there. So that's going to be a wrap for the show today, guys. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute and subscribe, rate, and leave us a review wherever you listen. And if you'd like us to email you the podcast, just text the word fishing to 314-665-1767 and we will email you the show each and every week get out there and fish this weekend guys it should be a good one for you stay safe on the water and we'll talk to you next time this week's alabama freshwater fishing report was brought to you by southeastern pond management if you want to grow big fish or healthier fish or just get your lake in better shape Call Southeastern Pond Management. You can call Norman Latona at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and give Norman a call. And brought to you by North Alabama is the place to go for your next fishing expedition. North Alabama is home to eight picture slates. Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler, Weiss, Smith, Neely Henry, Lake Gunnersville, and Bear Creek Lakes. Each lake is well stocked with a variety of fish, and in North Alabama, fishing is great year-round. For more information, visit www.northalabama.org and click on Plan to download a North Alabama fishing guide. And brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs, as well as motor sales and services, and now they have a pro-level tackle store. Boat and motor trade-ins are welcome. Visit them online at bucksislands.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com.